What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Today, we're sharing an amazing interview from CMX Summit 2020 between Kobe Fuller, who's a partner at Upfront Ventures and the founder of a community called Valence, and Gordon Bellamy, who got his early start working on the Madden games, started a community for gay gaming professionals, and is now a visiting scholar at USC. The conversation revolves all around how community can be an engine to create societal change. And they talk a lot about how communities create spaces where identities that are seen as negative in broader society can actually turn them into a positive and how communities have helped them both explore their own identities. It's an amazing conversation. You're going to love it. Enjoy. Hello, 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 everybody. All right. Are you ready for our first session? Our first session today is going to take you through the steps of how the combined power of individuals working together is what creates movements, how movements drive social, political, and business change, and how community is the necessary input for long-lasting movements. Our guests will discuss the power of community as the key component in driving societal progress at a moment in this world's history when we need it the most. Please welcome to our stage, Kobe Fuller and Gordon Bellamy. Hello, hello, CMX. How's everyone doing? Gordon, how you doing? I'm doing great. Good morning. I just want to thank uh, Anne-Marie and Beth and Jesse getting us here safe and sound and the whole team at Bevy. Thank you yeah. so much. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's exciting to be here virtually with everyone, though obviously we're not gathered in a physical space, but the power of technology like Bevy just allows the community to come together all across the world to have really important conversations, which today Gordon and I are super excited to talk about the power of community and what can it actually do to drive movements, movements either micro or macro for societal progress. Quick background on myself. I'm a partner at Upfront Ventures, the largest funds in Los Angeles focusing on technology investments. And I'm also the founder of a community called Valence, which has the goal of bringing together the combined power of the global black talent that exists on this planet to drive economic progress and just change in a way that we all know we need it the most here. Uh, Gordon, why don't you give a little background on yourself? I started my career designing a game called Madden Football back in the day. I spent my entire career in the game industry, and I've, I've run both trade organizations for games. And I, I also helped found a community called the Gay Gaming Professionals, which helps people through education, employment, expertise, and entrepreneurship in the industry. And I teach at USC in Los Angeles. So I want to dive into early career. You're a seasons game professional. I'd love you to talk about a little bit of the the magic that you gave to Madden football in early days. But could you just discuss when in your career did you see that there was some sort of um, you know mission or mission-driven sort of um, aspect of your work that you wanted to uh, bring forward? I'd love to just hear like just how that came sure. about. Sure. Well, I mean, community is such a pillar of play and of games. And I think the I, I'd come to Electronic Arts with a mission, you know, from a community where we we played to eat, like we played very seriously. And the first thing I I observed was the opportunity to democratize the development community. So I got my first job by cold call. But I had the privilege of going to Harvard and and access and, and lots of things. And 
there are a lot of people who are very capable of working on these titles who didn't have either the proximity or the extraordinary access to get in. So even back then, um, one of the first things I did that I thought was important was I went onto the listserv, which was like the internet back then, to give anyone who had the passion the opportunity to participate. Something else we did, which back in 95 was a big deal, was we put our actual personal emails in the manual so that anyone who literally had that, ugh, that will, like that fire, could get directly to our desk and communicate who they are, what mattered to them, why it mattered. I think I emailed you. You didn't respond, by the way. So. <laughs> I, I, I apologize. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's where it began for me, for sure. Democracy of access, right? Access to participate. I mean, that's one of the biggest things. Everyone here, you know, works, leads, cultivates communities. And in communities, I think there's a natural progression from discovery, right, which can be the hardest part. How do you get people to discover your, your community to experiencing it? right, actually getting into it, to identity, right, to I identify as a part of this community. And yeah, forever, it's been important to me and, you know, important as part of my identity to gain as much access as possible. Got it. And I want to talk a little bit about how the community you're building, the gay game professionals, sure. how that came about. Like, did you just wake up one day and you're like, oh, I need to do this. Or like, like how, how did that happen? Yeah. You just wake up and I want to... I want to drive change because you have so much other stuff you have to do in your, your day job in your life to actually think about how do I drive a, a movement forward. So like how did that come about? How did you have the ability to just get that going? Sure, sure, sure. And I, and I always want to shout out Brian Rubin, who was a founder way back when. It's always important to remember, remember your roots. But so my personal story was this. I had had a career about exceptionalism. Right. So I worked on Madden and um, we actually had our own studio called Z Axis that we sold to Activision. I had moved to L.A. and was doing biz dev. But as a queer industry, we were actually all on an anonymous mailing list. And by anonymous, I mean anonymous to each other because there wasn't employment equity around the world. And so even knowing who each other were was to put everything at risk. And it didn't matter whether you were the president or entry level engineering or art we hadn't built that sort of basic trust and thus value in each other. So we used to get together once a year for an hour at um, a conference called GDC in San Francisco and lament. Everyone would lament their individual tales of, of isolation. And then finally, one year, got about 15 years ago, we decided to go to a bar. Like, let's get away from all this and start to create our own community experience. Like the first experience where we freely share our names, who we are, our faces, start to actually connect in some meaningful way. The advent of Facebook took that to the next level because we said, oh, let's actually persist secretly, mind you, secretly all year round and have events, whether they be in Shanghai or San Francisco or uh, New York that are secret. Now, 15 years later, it's great. We're a nonprofit. We're giving scholarships. We have pride, right, in who we are because we recognize that our uniqueness is additive. But that took time, right, to yeah. go from we're trying to protect our identities and protect ourselves from each other to we're all additive. What can we do together to lift each other up? And can you talk about like the importance of something you touched upon, like safe spaces? I feel like certain communities sure. need to have a safe space where the community of, of certain people that have this common bond 
having sure. the ability to be so it's important because so some people don't realize that like, that that really is important and powerful and having that safe place is matters a ton. So I love you. Yeah, that. yeah. The terminology safe space means different things, especially if you've never felt unsafe. That it doesn't have meaning. It falls weird on the ear, right? If you've never sure. been like, what does that mean? So what I would say is this: all communities. Right, all relationships have bias, and by bias, I mean the questions that you navigate before you begin to be as good as you are. Right, so everyone has narrowed down that journey. Whether it be like someone asking you where you went to school, where are you from, what is your job title, so on and so forth. Bias, right? And so, one of our goals was to create a space where people of different orientations, expressions, identities were default. So just imagine that, your default, and now you're able to move forward professionally in discourse, rather than having to navigate qualifications of identity, expression, gender, before getting a chance to be who you are. So that would be, I think, maybe a word I would use, and maybe everyone would be comfortable with this, would be default spaces. And just being like, how many people can come into your space and feel as though they are default, and then engage with your content, your conversation, what have you. What's the mission for the organization? Like, what are you guys trying to accomplish? Or I guess, what would you be excited to see, call it five years from now, in terms of what the organization is able to do? Not maybe only for sure, sporting, sure. Sure. No, no, it, it speaks to purpose, right? So for me personally um, and professionally, my purpose is I love helping people get from point A to point B who don't know how. Like, and whether I use mm-hmm. my intelligence, my connections, whatever I can use, I love helping people on those journeys. And so in terms of the organization, it really is this journey which starts with education. So helping democratize education for people who often will get displaced from family and resources when they come out, right? Helping them navigate into employment, another place where they get displaced, get last to resources. Another thing, expertise, where getting to be showcased for your actual expertise rather than just for your identity. And then lastly, entrepreneurship, empowering ownerships of businesses, right? We've had many conversations about the the power to affect change when you are the change maker versus the key influencer, right? And so the more people that we can drive towards change making, the better. Those are the mission points. Those are the KPI that I see. One of the interesting things you touched upon is being a change maker, or a change agent. Do you, do you have any guidance or words of wisdom for anyone listening today that like ha- has some sort of like little tickle in their belly around like wanting to be a change agent in some manner, some way? Or it's like, I don't know, like, do I really matter? I'm one human on the planet of billions of people. Like, I'm curious any, any, any thoughts you have around that. No, absolutely. And, and we're going to flip this on you because you are a change maker. And we're going to talk about, <laughs> about valence in a second. But I would say a couple things. The number one thing, and this is something which is especially relevant today. And someone said it to me. And when I finally heard it, it really stuck with me, which was, There's a difference between waiting on the world to act on you and acting on the world, okay? Right now, there's a lot of things extrinsically that many of us have very little control over, direct impact over, right? And it's easy to get lost in the way that the world is acting on you and not really laser focus on how you can act on the world in a meaningful way. For me, I find like real peace in that. Heck, even being here in this conference, right? In this moment with all of you, 
with other community leaders and knowing that hopefully we'll all connect. And I, do we have all the contact info? I'll just shout it out. I'm on Twitter, Gordon Bellamy. I'm on Instagram, Cyber Cooper. You have me on Facebook, LinkedIn. Add me. Like, let's just get into it. That's awesome because you're you're here. But making those choices to act on the world in the way that you can in measurable ways every day, it's like the um, it's the same as working out. Right. If you want to get in shape, you hang out with people who go to the gym, not people going, you know, to the fast food place. Right. And you'll cumulatively make progress in a meaningful way. Other bits of advice. Um, I do think the people with whom you spend your time, right, who are challenging yeah. you and lifting you up. It's super meaningful, especially nowadays, to have personal professional spaces where you're able to iterate on yeah. ideas and concepts to move forward, to workshop before you go out into the world with things. Mentorship, in a nutshell, super important. But let me ask yeah. you the same question, because we're I wouldn't be here without you. You are, <laughs> you've been a change maker in my life, right? With Wade, with in, in this industry, in this conference, this moment, maybe talk a little bit about valence, which affects yeah. so many of us in a positive way, and what inspired you transformatively to make not just the economic change, but systemic change. Yeah, I mean, well, we're trying with Valence. We'll see how far we can go, but we have really big aspirations, big goals. And it goes to a little bit of what you said. How can I, in the capabilities and resources I have, try to affect change on this world in areas where I feel like things were broken? And it's about two years ago where I saw that things were broken, where in the corporate setting, seeing companies saying they wanted to hire more black professionals or put more black people on boards or fund more black founders, but constantly saying the statement, I have no idea where to find them. It's a pipeline issue. People are, are they're not there. And you know, Gordon, you and I know like that's totally not the case. So I realized well, what can I actually do to help solve this problem? I could just point at them and say, hey, you guys are stupid, work harder or I could try to solve their problem. I could actually put the solution in front of their face and be like, hey, what's your excuse? So part of the idea was, let's me create an interactive database of black talent and celebrate the talent on this database through this, this lens, this branding lens, and we use superheroes where people within the black professional universe who for some reason or another were not looked up to like a LeBron James or like a Robert Smith. Like white people don't have no idea who he is, but someone like Robert Smith should be known by a, a lot of the people on this planet. Maybe now he is because he gave away so much money to uh, Morehouse grads and the like. But yes. where I'm trying to go to is let me try to actually create a solution through just this product that I was building on the side. I have a full-time job. I got two kids. I don't got no time. But I realized if I want to actually see the problem go away, I got to do something or shut up. So as I was building this website, I got all this feedback from corporations, other VCs, that they actually want to pay for this platform or fund the platform. And then I realized, wait a minute, I'm a VC. I could fund my own platform if I wanted to, put a million dollars into it out of um, Upfront's capital and you know, really appreciate the support of my partners to be on the mission for this and start building out a small team, iterating on that idea. And it came to be a community. The idea was instead of actually creating just a platform to solve the problem of these corporations and these venture funds who are trying to deploy capital and hire people, there was an issue with regards to the black community being siloed, not connected together, not actually leveraging the combined power of each other to actually accomplish and achieve progress. 
where for some reason we're in these micro communities, these silos, these ERGs, these alumni associations. Why can I actually create bridges across all these organizations so that we actually could affect change together? So I was trying to apply technology to the problem and emotion, inspiration, branding, storytelling, and it just resonated. We launched it uh, about a year ago this time and have you know, no marketing of 3,000 people pretty much out of the gate one to be on this platform. So we kind of hit, hit a nerve with regards to what we're trying to do here. But I'll be honest with you, there is periods as you know, recent as you know, early this year where I wondered like, how many people truly still cared about this mission? Do people, if they saw a pool of black people in front of them, would they want to hire them? Like, do they actually care about valence in terms of existence? Like, how am I going to get this thing funded? Like, I can't keep going into the, the piggy bank of a front and keep financing this thing. And then everything really just changed come, you know, George Floyd, Black Lives Matter. And there was just this macro movement, this meteor just hit this planet. The guards like, wow, like there's a lot of things that are broken. And, and now we were in this position because we've been prepared for this moment in our small micro community I still think of, you know, in terms of well, 11,000 people right now could be the seed of something bigger to do something. So we're in the beginning phases there. But for me personally, it was one where I didn't wake up thinking, like, oh, I want to build a community. I want to build a movement. I want to try to actually solve a lot of the inequities in this country in regards to just uh, racial disparities. But I just saw this moment in time where I was in the right place, right time, the right idea. And honestly, it felt like a calling to do. And that's kind of where we are right now. So it's a, it almost felt like a burn. It felt like I have an idea of a burn that I have to do it. And I'm so excited that you know we're on this mission. And Gordon, you're on this mission with us because this is a community-driven experience that we're trying to drive forward. Sure. No, it's super meaningful. And I'll just sort of bring everyone in a bit. Um, I won't speak to your experience. I'll speak to mine. So the word that through all the, the thread of what you spoke to is pride. Right. And so I actually grew up with like, I'm black and I'm proud. I grew up with black is beautiful. And, and now we're in a different time where the, the password answer was black lives matter. There is a voyage. Once again, everyone's experience is different, but this is coming out month right in October and in June is pride. And for me, coming out month isn't just about identity or gender or expression. It's about that realization of who you are as an affirmation and then being like, hey, are you on board with me or not? So that could be around you as investmently. Like you had a coming out moment. You're like, wait a second. I am not only an investor in other properties. I'm an investor in community, right? You had to come out and be like, tell everyone up and down the hallway, this is who I am. And what is so powerful about that is that what that is given a community is the affordance of pride. And by pride, I mean this. Part of the value of the community you've created is that it isn't just that people are exceptional. It is that they, for many, for the first time in a minute, have seen their trait, their identity, as additive, right? Mm -hmm. Additive to the collective melting pot. So once again, the valence experience for me is not about, despite your blackness, we're going to recruit you. Look, you've been curated by Valence. It is, look at these 11,000 or and counting. It's like the beginning of the Warriors. Like, if you can count, right? There is a whole generation of people look around to the left of you, to the right of you, right? And that yeah. builds worth. And I think everyone who works in communities, you know, understands and appreciates that in that identity moment, right? When people go from experiencing something to actually a shared identity and a positive identity, like your community, like many of the communities out there, that is an incredible, empowering, unifying feeling. 
you know, going forward. And again, once again, thank you, right? And I understand it must be a challenge because like people who are often marginalized, people question the value of marginalized people, right? Like, but why? Why would you aggregate people of color? I mean, right? Yeah. Meritocracy or whatever, right? But then when you go, oh, no, people of color are innately additive, you know? That's why it's a plus, right? And yeah. and when I say when you say black, and then something positive happens afterwards, then woo, like that's powerful history and value being built, and that's something that everyone does with their communities for the most part is that they try to have positive things happen after being associated with the community, right? Yeah. And that's a lot of the work we all share, whether it be. Um, we talk a lot in games about the uh, the aesthetics of play and aesthetics of fun. And those could be like fellowship, right? Like mm -hmm. the fellowship of the 11,000 bales. It can be learning, like all the resources that you pour into it. It can be competition with the best at this, that, and the other. It could also be cooperation. Look, you know, Susie, Sarah, Joe, and Dana together, right? Yeah. Are a fantastic four. Who knew? And yeah. you're giving birth to a lot of aesthetics of play through the community you're building. And I'm sure a lot of people out there in the crowd are as well. I think communities that operate really well operate in a manner where everyone wins together. So they may be winners within the community, but everyone wins. You still celebrate someone's win within the community. And yes. it has become out of the barrel. It's become, oh, like Gordon just like, is now, is now on the superstar. Kobe. Why is that, why is that not baseball? <laughs> For everyone at home, crabs in a barrel. Sorry, it's asterisk. See comic eighty-seven African American culture. Uh, the concept is this: is that when you boil crabs, if you're a crab boiling person, then you might go, "Why don't the crabs ever crawl out of the barrel if you leave it open? Right? Why don't they get away?" And it is because through some sort of instinct or another, the crabs in the pot will actually grab the crabs that are trying to get out of the pot and pull them back into the boiling water. Ew, awkward, you know, when applied <laughs> to talk about about human guide. But you're right; we have an opportunity to to lift to lift each other up in a meaningful way. I'll tell you something. We'll talk to the crowd because I saw Doug Scott was here from Twitch. Actually, weird flex, bro, making the Twitch homepage debut on Sunday for coming out day. I'm here with the world's best community leaders. I'll be super honest. Never been on the front page of Twitch before. It's it's I'm sort of excited, but all guidance. <laughs> welcome from the finest community leaders in the world of how we could move our message forward this is a right this is a conversation right community conversation i welcome it that's that's my question to all of you how to make the most of this opportunity on sunday that's yeah, actually a good segue to open up questions to the audience because we, we are a community and it's not just you and i chatting so um maybe we can start uh, shifting gears there well, in the meanwhile, I'll just give my contact info again because conversation can be asymmetrical. This actually isn't the format for some people who aren't necessarily direct communicators. Like if they're thoughtful or quiet, they may want to do something more chill. So LinkedIn, Twitter, add me, Gordon Bellamy, Kobe Fuller I'm right here. I'm Kobe Fuller. <laughs> add Kobe on LinkedIn. Real talk. Like real talk. <laughs> Type it in. K-O-B-I-E. Just do it. Trust me on this one. <laughs> Well, gentlemen, this was such an inspiring way to start our day. Our chat has been blowing up with so much ah, I want to see it all. Excitement. <laughs> it's so wonderful. Thank you so okay. much. Um, we do no. have lots of questions, and uh, okay. I'm excited that our Q&A feature is just, like, working so perfectly right now. Let's um, go. 
Let's begin. Okay, so you talked about the default spaces and everybody loved that. I would love if you could talk more about how you managed to kind of take those identities that are unfortunately seen as the other and then bring them into that default space and create that default sure. space. Sure. There's a couple ways. One is I will, will over-index for underrepresented or misrepresented communities. So, for example, even in um, queer spaces, often those are dominated by cisgender male people. And so we made a point to give early access to non-gender conforming, non-binary, and trans members of our community. The second thing, which I think is super important, is we had people who were greeters throughout the night who... Um, we, I call them, they scrub the walls with love. And most importantly, asking non-qualifying questions. Like, so a non-qualifying question is a question anyone can answer and engage with. Like, who inspired you to get into games, right? Why do games matter to you? A qualifying question is, what is your job title, okay? Mm. Where did you go to school, right? Mm. The questions you ask that you use to differentiate and delineate and rank people. If you begin with those questions, you put people on their heels immediately, right before they get a chance to engage with you so the more questions that enable engagement and equity and inclusion set the tone for how people feel and if you've ever once again been marginalized over anything then you know the questions like if you ask you what side of town are you from right whatever you know so on and so forth everyone knows when they're doing it what they're doing yeah more questions I, that's that's, that's just Definitely. a basic thing i don't there's, there's lots of things but, yeah, yeah no that's awesome Okay, next one here. So Priya asks, building trust is so important to create a safe community. Any tips that you feel helped you build trust in the community for your members? Mm. Wow, that's a, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, trust is, is a two-way street, right? So trust begins with listening, right? Like that's where trust begins, really, because... Until you listen, you don't even know what you're trusting. I'll tell you why trust is super important, though. So concentric circles, everyone home to me. So trust, <laughs> then loyalty, then goodness, right? And by that, I mean, if you go for goodness, excellence, without trust and loyalty, well, then you won't even know when it's falling apart because they won't tell you because there's no trust and loyalty, right? <laughs> if you have trust but no loyalty, they'll tell you, God, I got the worst news, but nothing you can do about it. I just want to tell you to your face. When you have trust and loyalty, you're able to iterate on goodness, right? You're able to navigate the bugs. You're able to navigate the hiccups in community, right, together because you all know that you're working from the best of intentions, right? You're all headed in the same direction. You're just in some choppy water together. So that's why trust. Yeah, building trust, I think, yeah, you got to listen because trust is a gift that people have to be willing to give you. You can't extract it from people. And how I think about that too, that. There, there can't be trust if first and foremost, there's not transparency. If I don't truly know who my fellow community member is, then how can I truly trust them? And you know when you're interacting with someone and then there's, there's a wall up, there's a guard up, there's just something that they're not sharing with you. And that's when people actually usually put barriers up between them and other people. They don't trust one another. And then... When you do have transparency on top of that, then there needs to be some level of just shared commitment towards why you're there in this community. Like, what is the purpose by which you're actually in the same space with them? And then are you holding each other accountable with regards to 
like, are you actually acting in the ways in which you should be acting to be a part of this community? And when there's a dynamic where people are being their, their, their authentic selves, they're holding each other accountable, they're holding that commitment towards one another, then there becomes this really clear bond where we will trust one another, we'll share things with one another because I am there for my fellow community member and we're going to be building together. So that's how I think about how you build trust, but it doesn't happen overnight. Clearly it becomes earned with so many people, but if you don't have those key components, I feel like it all breaks down. Yeah. I want to build on Kobe real quick and just say, um, identifying what positive behaviors are for community is super important. A lot of energy can be spent around like punishment metrics. Like if you do this, then I'm going to break up with you in our community and not as much energy in some communities around. These are the positive traits that we actually are trying to affirm and celebrating them. But I think those are like like investments, like in a relationship, it's like there's deposits and withdrawals. And the more deposits you give people a chance to give, right, the more trust there'll be when something is even perceived to be a withdrawal. Like you give yourself more leeway to work it out. But if you don't have those deposits, if someone on the street just bumps into you, you might be like, why are you bumping into me? Are you a pickpocket? Uh, whatever, right? Like, ah, why are you so inconsiderate of my time? But if someone you know, right, right, who's built trust with you or, you know, is of good intentions bumps into you, well, then you come from a different place with the same exact interaction. That cross with hundreds, thousands, millions is community. I love that. That's such a, that's a great way of putting community. Um, okay, so we don't really have time, but I'm going to ask one more question. Gordon, overwhelmingly, everybody wants to know what the story about your shirt Oh, okay. So real talk. Okay. So I, I play recreational dodgeball. Okay. I'm a dodgeballer. And so I actually play in a tournament in Las Vegas and my team claw and order. Oh my God. Shout out to Andrew Ketchum, the world's best dodgeball player on my team, by the way, like MVP of worlds, like fan, anyway, back to me. The way you get this shirt is this, you have to make a double catch, which is catching two balls at the same time, in a match, like live play, you have to have video of it, and then you submit it to a website. If they approve of the video as legit in play, in legitimate tournament play, only then can you earn the Catch Champion t-shirt. So yes, me in Vegas, double catch, you know, I did, it was, it was a fine moment. It's actually a three-on-one too, so like a, if everyone loves dodgeball real quick, they, a three-on-one, I caught the two balls, of course, spike them because what? And then two of my teammates came in and it was a reverse three-on-one and it was just like chef's kiss. <laughs> community. And, and sorry, wait, a community that I'm very proud of, right? Like, especially in these displaced times, like I am a dodgeballer. Even if we don't get to play right now, we will be back. Join your local dodgeball league. Consider it. <laughs> That's so fantastic. Thank you for that, Gordon. Thank you so much, Kobe. Everybody in the chat is also wondering if you'll hop into a networking table at some point today. So you can think about that. And okay. we're going to move on to our next session. Thank you so much, gentlemen. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoy this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.